2: It is hour number three of the Greg Peterson Experience on Visa the Sports Bank Network. And we've got a tremendous hour for you as we're going to be talking a lot of college basketball in this hour. And along the way, we're going to get you guys a fill of a little bit of NBA, a little bit of NHL as well. Scott Reichel, who does great work over at the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. He is going to be joining me in about 15 minutes. We're going to be talking about that and so much more. So we're going to have a lot of fun chatting with him and We've got a lot of great hoops action that is gonna be coming our way, and we've got some of it in the Big Ten. In our number one, if you miss anything from this show, beaston.com slash podcast for the audio form, vison.com slash picks for all the picks. But that said, we were talking a little bit about Rutgers versus Michigan, Iowa State first or Iowa versus Ohio State. But this one I think has some big implications as well. Illinois versus Penn State in the great state of illinois this is 739 740 on the board with illinois they're a two and a half point favorite total on this game is between 140 and and 141.5 it gauges the question how easy slash difficult is it to knock off a team three times we have seen this matchup twice both times penn state won and rather convincingly if you go back to the first matchup when they went to the state of illinois that was actually a Penn State win by 15 points. Second time around, significantly more high scoring, but Penn State still won that game by double figures. I do think that this is going to be a better effort from Illinois, though. It's a Penn State team that they do a tremendous job of being able to shoot threes. Overall, it's a team that ranks at the top 10 nationally in terms of their three-point shooting percentage. You've got Jalen Pickett. You've got the Funk and Andrew Funk. You've got both of these guys shooting north of 40% from 3 point range, along with Seth Lundy, but... I mean, you just don't really have size or a true post presence with this Penn State team. Now, Penn State travels well. They shoot 40.2% from three-part range at home, 37.5% on the road. If you take a look at the overall numbers, they are 7th in the country with regards to the three-point shooting percentage. But who's going to be able to match up down low with the likes of a Coleman Hawkins? Who's got good versatility? Right around 9 points, 6 boards, 3 assists per game. You've got TJ Shannon, who... He's been able to come back from injury. He's been able to supply the team with 14.5 points per game. I recognize that there have been some injury concerns with Illinois, most notably to Jaden Epps, who has been one of their main guards for the team. And it is an Illinois team that they do have some demonstrative splits. They do give up a little bit over 15.5 points more per one hour possessions when they do leave home. But I do think that they should be able to win the battle on the glass in this one. Dane Danger has been able to give you about 9.5 points, 5.5 boards, He's been very good for the team down low as you've got three separate guys for this Illinois team that are able to give you at least 1.2 blocks for contest. But we have got to talk about the monster himself. That'd be Matthew Meyer. That's why I call him the monster. It's because he apparently got some, I think it was caffeine poisoning from drinking too many monster energy drinks, which that man is my hero right there. That's something that we can all get behind. But that said, you take a look at everything that he's done really since the beginning part of the season because he had a first month of the year that was very forgettable but ever since we're gonna call it that that game on december 6th where the team went to i believe it was msg they played against texas things have really turned around from him if you take a look at just pretty much chopping out the first month of the season he's averaging 15.5 points she's 36.5 percent from three on nearly five threes per game, five and a half rebounds, 1.7 blocks per game, as a six foot nine, little bit of a do-it-all player, I think that that that's really going to affect Penn State in this game, and I do think that, this being played in the state of Illinois, you got to give a little bit of a boost, to Illinois for home court, nothing where it's like, true home court advantage, especially in the Big Ten, where home court advantage, has meant darn near everything, throughout the season, but I do think that Illinois, the third time around, they are going to be able to get the job done, and I do think that, you are going to be seeing a game that, well, it's not going to involve a lot of possessions, but I do think that it involves a fair amount of scoring. Illinois, not as effective with their defense when they are away from home. This is a Penn State team that in themselves, not necessarily hanging their hat on defense. One of the most efficient offenses in all of college basketball. They don't turn the ball over a lot, so they're able to make the most of their possessions, but 229th in the country is Penn State. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis, and they do give up right around 10.3 points more per one iron possession. So, Seeing a 140 on the board, willing to take that over. And with Illinois, something is more of a three and a half point favorite. So, wanted to lay the two and a half that I'm seeing with them. This one, I think, is fascinating as well. I believe that Wes Reynolds and and Matt Humans over on v tonight. tonight were talking about this game a little bit. But it is Duke versus Pittsburgh. And we've seen a rather big line move on this game. With this, it is 721-722 on the board. And Duke, they open up in a lot of spots a four point favorite. Now we're seeing them between a six to a six and a half point favorite with a total of 141 to 141 and a half. I personally thought that the four was a good buy low spot on Duke. I set Duke as a five and a half point favorite. It has went through that number, especially if you're finding a six and a half, which we're seeing a few of them populate right now, mostly in the market at six, but even at a six, I'm willing to buy in on Pittsburgh. Now Pittsburgh is the lesser defensive team in this battle. Going into what we saw on Wednesday, Pittsburgh was 140th in the country. In terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, that probably went northward a little bit because they played another high scoring affair, which there has just been no defense played in the ACC, by the way. I know that you can pin it on the fact that you've got a couple just dregs in Louisville, what have you, but man, I mean, the just raw points allowed on a per possession basis in the ACC has been complete and utter sadness. But with Pittsburgh, what is up been said is taking a look at this team and what they're able to do with regards to their backcourt. As you got Jamarius Burton, Blake Hinson, good versatility out of both of these guys. They combined for about 11.5 rebounds per game. They're both able to shoot the high 30s from 3 point range. Pittsburgh as a whole has been shooting darn near 36% from 3 point range. And what else I think is relatively key in this circumstance as well is that they've been able to have Frederico Frederico step up. By the way, really good name. He's been able to supply Pittsburgh with right around two blocks per contest, and that's going to be big because where Duke has really had an advantage over most ACC teams is what they've got down low. Derek Lively has been able to come alive. He's been living up to that name. He's been lively with right around 2.3 blocks per game. You've also been able to have some really good production of Kyle Filipowski, 15-point signed rebounds per game. That's me. Honestly, the biggest thing with regards to this Duke team is being able to get a little bit more from the outside. I think that Tariq Whitehead, he's really the X factor for this team. He's been able to supply about nine to 10 points per game. And with Jacob Granderson, just really not providing a whole heck of a lot this year. I do think that this is a circumstance where it is Dariq Whitehead who's really going to have a lot of sway in this game. And I do think that for Duke, they should be able to get the job done. Their defense is far more supreme. And for Duke, this team has really been throttling down in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, or so right around 48th. In terms of total possessions per game, it's a Duke team that they rank outside the top 270 in terms of total possessions per game. They're actually down to number 304 in the country. So I did sell my total 139.5. I recognize Pittsburgh has been playing some higher scoring games, but I do think that Duke is going to get this game played on their tempo. But I do think that... Pittsburgh with having Frederico Frederico do what he's doing. The Diaz-Grand Brothers have been able to step up a little bit more in recent games. I'm going to be willing to dive under. And I'm going to be willing to take the points with Duke now that we've gotten to a six. That is my buy point on Pittsburgh. This one is also a very intriguing one as I think the flat-out wrong team is favored in this. 725-726 on the board. Clemson is going to be taking on NC State. NC State opened up as a two-and-a-half point favorite. Now we're seeing them go to a three-point favorite in a lot of spots. And your total on this game is between 147.5 and 149.5. So, big divide in the market on this one. And I do think that this total is set a little bit too high. I did set my total at 147.5. Recognize that this NC State team has went down the tubes a little bit with their defense recently. But it's a Clemson team that comes in mucho caliente. As the last time they played against NC State, they were able to win that game. And they won that game in very convincing fashion. And I just think that this is a tough matchup for NC State. You've got a pair of guys with good size 6'800 Tyson along with 6'10 P.J. Hall. They both give you 15.5 points per game. Tyson is able to pull in their 9.5 rebounds per game. He shoots about 41.5% from 3 point range. Hall shoots 39.5% from 3 point range. They both shoot north of 80% at the free throw line, and this is something I like about Clemson. They just don't beat themselves. Each of your top four scorers shoot at least 80.8% of the free throw line. As a whole, they shoot 79.3% of the free throw line. That's a top 10 mark in all of college basketball. They only turn the ball over 11 times per game. Now, what you're able to say about NC State is that they themselves do a nice job of holding onto the ball. They're a top 15 team in the country in terms of fewest turnovers on a per-possession basis, and they do have a lot of good backcourt play, as Jerquavian Smith, Jarkel Joyner. They both give you 17.3 points per contest. They combine for about 8 assists per game. All this while turning the ball over nine and a half times per game, which is relatively impressive when you think about NC State and the fact that they do play at a top 80 pace in terms of total possessions per game, but what are you going to be able to get down low? DJ Burns has been relatively solid for the team, 13 points, five rebounds per game, and they are getting Jack Clark back in the fold. Jack Clark, someone that was out of the mix for much of conference play. He returns, gets re-injured, but he should be good to go once again now, but... Again, is he going to be at 100% or not, which is why you're probably going to be looking much more at DJ Burns, who with the injury to Dusan Morosic, he saw quite a few more minutes starting right around Christmas time. If you take a look at the last 19 games he's played in, he's been pretty rock solid, 16.5 points, a block, 5.5 rebounds per game, but you really don't have a ton of depth with this NC State team as well. Craig is able to give you a few rebounds, but I do think that for Clemson, just a whole being what it is and having those two dominant players that have versatility, they're able to give you rebounds, they're able to give you three-point shooting, that's big, and it's a clumps of team that they themselves were dealing with some injuries when it came to conference play. Chase Hunter missed a little bit of time. They were without Brevin Galloway to do one of the most interesting injuries that you're going to find. I will let you search for that for your own. We're going to try to keep this a family show, but Alex Hemingway, He's been able to do a nice job being able to supply the team with a few points, a little bit of three-point shooting as well. I'm going to be willing to back Clemson in the spot outright on the money line. Clemson about 200th 3 possessions per game. Semi-total, 147.5, diving under and coming up next. Let's talk a little NHL and NBA with Scott Reichel of the Sports Gambling Podcast right here on the Greg Peterson Experience on Visa the Sports Network.
0: You're experiencing Hoops Peterson himself on VSN, the sports betting network.
2: Become a VSN Pro subscriber today and get everything that you need to bet the madness for only $19. Whether you're filling out a bracket or betting against a spread, our team is here to get you ready for every game and every round of the tournament. Only VSN Pro subscribers get unlimited access to ideally best bets, tools like our exclusive betting splits, plus our big dance bracket and betting guides. These guys. Feature in-depth breakdowns of all 68 teams, Cinderella selections, bracket predictions, and picks on every single tournament game. From VSN experts like Brent Busberger and Greg Oops Peterson, sign up today and get the betting guides plus full access through the end of the tournament for just $19. And you go to vsncom slash subscribe for that offer. As we're back here on the Greg Peterson Experience on VSN the Sports Betting Network. And it is great to be joined by our guests as Scott Reichel. He does great work over at the Sports Gambling Podcast Network, taking a look at a wide variety of things, football, basketball, tennis, hockey, list goes on and on. He does it all, and Scott, it's always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yep, thanks for having me. It is great to have you on, and Scott, with regards to the NBA, it certainly has been an interesting landscape, to say the least. We've got a fascinating card that we're going to be seeing for Thursday, but let's start off with this one, as right now we're seeing the Indiana Pacers and the Rockets do battle with the Pacers being about a nine point favorite and total of 235 and a half. It's been a Pacers team that has been playing no defense whatsoever. The Rockets, they have been awful this year to say the least. Is there any sort of a lean that you're going to be taking a look at in a pair of teams that it's been not so great sledding for them all season long?
1: Yeah, the spread might seem a little bit high at first glance with the Pacers only nine and a half, but I actually think it's a little bit too low based on how awful Houston's been lately. Uh, the Rockets have lost 12 of their last 14 games. You can argue it's 12 of 12 if you want to make a case the Spurs aren't a real NBA team. But you're looking at the Rockets, and 9 of the 12 losses they've had recently were by at least 14 points. They're getting blown out on a regular basis here. Uh, the Pacers are 21-13 and 13 ATS at home this season. The Rockets are 6-27 and 27 straight up on the road and 11-22 and 22 ATS on the road this season. And the Rockets historically have not been good traveling to Indiana as the Rockets are 4-11 and ETS in the last 15 meetings in Indiana. But the point is, the Pacers, even though this team isn't great, they've been decent lately. Yes, the defense has not exactly been great, but Houston's had issues scoring as well, and Houston, we know, doesn't try to guard anybody. But when you've lost 12 of your last 14, and nine of those 12 were by at least 14 points, we saw them get buried at home against the Nets the other day. They're not close the entire time, unless they're playing San Antonio. I'm going to go with Indiana. I think this team's got too much firepower. And we know Houston is basically a glorified AEU team right now. I'll keep fading Houston. It's been pretty profitable lately.
2: Yep, I cannot blame you there. And these have been a pair of teams that we have loved to fade all year long. So it's a good old situation of something's got to give. The Charlotte Hornets and the Detroit Pitsons are doing battle. And the Hornets, they find themselves as a three-point road favorite. That felt very strange coming out of my mouth. and. I know you're taking a look at this game, but you're not looking at the full game spreader toll. Take me through why you're going to be looking to reduce the game a little bit more and what you are going to be taking a look at.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to go with the Pistons first half here at plus one and a half. We saw the Hornets end up beating the Knicks on the road, had a very nice comeback there, snapped the Knicks a nine game winning streak. However, the Hornets were trailing by 16 points at halftime. And that's kind of a common theme that I'm going to stick with because the Hornets have trailed by at least 16 points at halftime in each of their last four games. And the crazy part is it's not even that surprising because the Hornets all season long have been the worst first half team in the entire league. The Hornets are 24, 42, and one ATS in the first half of games this season, which is the worst record in the league. And if you want to go through the head-to-head meetings this season, the Pistons have led at halftime in two of the first three meetings. I know the Pistons might shut down Boyan, and he probably won't play again for the rest of the season. So Detroit is definitely trying to tank to some degree. But with the Hornets being this bad in the first half all season long, the fact that they're laying points in the first half seems like an auto-fade spot to me. I'll take the Pistons at home to at least remain competitive or maybe even to be leading after 24 minutes. I don't trust them in 48 minutes, but 24 minutes maybe is good enough for me. I'll take the Pistons first half.
2: And you trust in this team against one of the hottest in the NBA, Maybe the Brooklyn Nets, they hit the road to face off against the Milwaukee Bucks. Currently not seeing a total up on this game. I know that there's some injury concerns on both sides with regards to this one, but the Bucks, they're a 13-point favorite, and this Bucks team has been a bulldozer recently, but it just feels a little bit too high. I'm not sure where you stand on this one. Probably not going to be seeing the full allotment of Brooklyn Nets talent in this one, but even with that, 13 does feel like a little bit too big of a number to lay.
1: Yeah, for me, I'm actually going to lean to Brooklyn as well. I kind of agree with you that I think this total's a little bit, the spread's a little bit high. I understand that Milwaukee was pretty awful against the Nets a couple of uh, days ago or a week or so ago, and then they woke up in the second half and ended up winning the game by 14. But Brooklyn was kind of slumping at that point. It seems like Brooklyn has kind of found its footing once again. Mikael Bridges has been great, but you're looking at Milwaukee. Yes, this team has been dominant. It's really just the fact that they're the best team in the league at this point. But 13 does seem a little bit large for me, uh, especially with Milwaukee having no incentive to really run up the score. Uh, We saw Giannis miss the last game against Orlando, and I am curious if he's going to play in this game. I'm assuming he will, but I don't think it's officially guaranteed yet. 13, though, is a lot of points to be laying in the association. And if you're going to do it, you kind of need the team getting the points to be an absolute bottom feeder with an incentive to actually tank or to lose the game. Brooklyn's competing for a playoff spot. They're probably going to make the playoffs. So I think that the spread does seem a little bit high because of it. I'll take a feisty Nets team to probably lose, but to at least remain competitive. 13 is just too many points for me.
2: Yeah, no question about it. I'm right there with you. I think that we're feeling the same thing there. And this is a good old situation of something's got to give. The Warriors have been a horrible on the road. The Memphis Grizzlies are in all sorts of disarray. The Memphis Grizzlies are a two-point home underdog against the Golden State Warriors. Where do you stand on this one? Because this is two teams that you probably don't want to be backing in these respective circumstances right now, and yet you've got a game involving both. Yeah,
1: sometimes uh, the best way to play is not to play at all. Uh, You know, shout out to War Games, but I'm going to lean to Memphis here if I had to pick a spot here, our side. I just think Memphis getting points at home is pretty tempting against a Golden State team that's been this atrocious on the road. Golden State is 7-25 and straight up on the road, and Memphis is 26-5 and at home. So you can talk about all the disarray and everything, but at home, 26-5, and I can't ignore it. Now, of course, Morant's going to be out indefinitely for his situation he's got going on. Steven Adams is still out. Brandon Clark's now out for the year. But Memphis at home, I just can't ignore that record. And Golden State, they're having their own issues on the road all season long, but you also saw Draymond kind of get into it with Jordan Poole again where he completely just abandoned a play midway through the game, where Poole didn't give him the ball, and Draymond had a temper tantrum midway, uh, just in the middle of the court, and he kind of walked away, and that was the whole situation. I'm not sold in Golden State right now, and since Curry came back, they are 0-2. So even with Curry back, they've not exactly been playing good basketball. lean Memphis, they have been on a pretty long road trip. They're still a good home team. Golden State laying on the road, I just can't get behind it on principle. Give me the 26 and five team at home, getting
2: points at home. And I'll throw at you a question that might be impossible to answer. What do you attribute the Warriors road woes to? Because it feels like it's a million dollar question and anyone that's able to get the correct answer, they deserve a prize because I mean, it's just been so strange. Typically, you see younger teams struggle a little bit more on the road. This is a Warriors team that they've won title upon title with Klay Thompson, with Seth Curry. I recognize that Curry has been out with an injury throughout much of the season, but this does not feel like the sort of team that should be struggling in this manner on the road.
1: Yeah, for me, I think the main issue is going to go back to defense. And a big reason is because Wiggins has also missed a bunch of games and Clay is nowhere near the defender that he used to be. But we saw this team during their run or their reign as really just the dominant team in the NBA. Everyone talked about the offense with Curry winning MVPs and with Clay being a great shooter and everything like that. The defense is really what made this team great because of the fact that they were able to play at such a fast pace while also being able to go on massive runs by shutting down the opposition, mostly in third quarters, but still. I just think at the end of the day, you're looking at a Golden State team that's really not great defensively, and we tend to see a lot of role players, kind of a cliche, role players step up at home, and they play a lot better. For me, Golden State's defense has just been a lot better at home, and it's been pretty atrocious on the road. And we saw it last game giving up 137 to OKC. I think the main reason why is defense and some injuries mixed in. But Golden State can ride the home crowd advantage at home and kind of get some defensive juice from it. But the defense on the road has been awful all season long. I think that's the main reason for me. The defense just has not traveled for them this season.
2: And a team that has traveled is the New York Knicks. They're catching four on the road against the Sacramento Kings. A tough east-west road trip. But would this be a spot where you'd be looking to continue to ride the momentum that the Knicks have had on the road?
1: I think it's tricky to talk about momentum when they're on a big winning streak and then they lose to the Hornets at home. <laughs> like I'm kind of yeah. curious if that completely just shuts the momentum off entirely. The Kings are now the two seed in the West, so they got momentum too. I think I'm going to lean to Sacramento. This team's been very tough to go against at home. I'm a fan of lighting the beam, so I'll go with the Kings there. I do want to know if Brunson's going to play or not, because even though I do like quickly as a player, and now he's favored to win sixth man, Brunson is still probably the best player on the team. And until I know for certain if he's going to play in this one, I have a hard time going to the window with the Knicks. I'll maybe sacrifice a point or two to find out if Brunson's going to play or not. But right now, I'll leave the Sacramento at home.
2: I don't blame you there. I do think that it's an interesting ordeal, and we've got a lot of tennis to 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 be able to chat about with Scott Reichel of the Sports Gambling Podcast next, right here on the Greg Peterson Experience on VEASAN, the Sports Banking Network.
0: Peterson himself on VSN, the Sports Betting Network.
2: Before you make your next bet, be sure to visit vCN.com to check out the current Betting Splits data. Want to know where the money and the bets are moving on every single game? Well, the DraftKings the Betting Splits page is updated with DraftKings odds every 10 minutes. So that way you'll be able to gauge all the changes in the action, find out where the money does not match up with the public opinion and where the Public is betting based on the number of tickets. You can check out not just today's action but future events as well as betting splits. Is another way that VSIN is here year round to be able to make you a smarter, better. So check out today's betting splits for every single game now at VSIN.com. As we're back here for the Greg Peterson experience right here on Vison the Sports Bank Network. And great to be rejoined by Scott reichelle He does great work over at the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. And Scott, I know you, much like myself, Absolutely love taking a look at basketball, love taking a look at all these sports, but you do a great job as well on the tennis circuit as well. And right now we're seeing a nice little event that is happening out in the great state of California. And a guy that you're going to be looking to bet is Ben Shelton. Ben Shelton is going up against Fabio Fogini. He's right now about a minus three fifty to a minus $4 favorite. Where do you stand on this one? Because I know that you like backing Shelton in this spot, but you're looking to avoid the rather chalky money line that we're seeing.
1: Yeah, so Fagnini's expected to pretty much get dominated in this match, and I agree with it. I'm going to go with Shelton to win in straight sets at minus 125. Fagnini's lost six of his last seven matches. He had a moment there in Rio de Janeiro where he looked pretty good, but then he injured his foot again. And as a result, he really kind of fell off uh, in his last match against Echeverri. The issue is he's also older, he's past his prime, and with the injuries that he suffered within the last year or two his leg, his movement's just not there anymore. The court coverage isn't there, and I think as a result, Shelton, who has a lot of firepower, one of the best up-and-coming servers on tour, can easily hit 130, and he also has a pretty good forehand. I think he's just going to be able to overpower Fagnini. and with the hard court, of course, playing faster than the clay courts, I think Fagnini's going to have a really hard time of actually moving laterally to cover the court, I think that Shelton should be able to avoid getting broken for most of this match. Maybe it gets broken one time, but Fognini, in addition to the lack of movement and being past his prime, he was never known for being a great server, and I think Shelton could be able to generate a lot of pressure in Fognini service games. But Fognini has not won a hardcourt match since November of 2022. He's just not a good hardcourt player at this stage in his career. Shelton's been struggling lately, but he did give Rune a top 10 player a run for his money there in Mexico. Won the first set, lost in three. But I think that Shelton, with the home country support there in California, I think he's going to be able to beat up on a past prime player who specializes on clay. Give me Shelton to win in straight sets.
2: And just a question that I have for you, because in tennis, you're going to find some rather big money lines. And I know that we do some UFC on this show as well, and you're going to find that quite a bit in the UFC. We saw that in the most recent event as well. How do you decide what way to reduce the juice on the money line with, because I know that you could go total games. You're going in straight sets with this one. How do you decide, all right, this is going to be the way that I'm going to be looking to reduce the juice a little bit on this big favorite. Well, you,
1: of course it's going to be on a matchup by matchup basis, but I tried to take unders if I was going to pick a lot of breaks of serve. If I thought that you have a good returner who has a good chance of actually getting into a lot of the opponent service games and breaking repeatedly, That's kind of why I'm going to go with the sets instead, because I can see a tiebreaker here. Shelton is still a young player with a big serve, but his return games are not exactly great. I'm kind of just banking on Fagnini, who has a weak serve to begin with, and now he's got questionable movement. I think Shelton will find a way to break a couple of times, but it's mostly going to come down to if the player I'm backing is, you know, what he specializes in. Is he a great server? Is he a great rallier? Can he just keep his opposition off guard? I think that for this in particular match, I'm going with the sets instead because I can see Shelton struggling to break at times based on what I've seen in his career. The point is, the serve is so good. I'm not sure if Fagnini's going to break either. So I'll play it safe and
2: I'll take the sets instead. I think that that's good insights and good way to be able to take a look at things as well because I always do get curious as to how to reduce the juice because there's a lot of different offerings that you get. And something is sports. And it's just like in baseball as well. If you don't like, Laying a big giant money line on the New York Yankees. You can always go with something like a strikeout prop. You can go run line. So there's always a lot of different ways to go about it. And tennis is much the same with that regard. But this is one in which you are going to be taking a look at the money line on. Richard Gasquet is going to be going up against Borna Gojo. Gojo right around about a minus 130 to a minus 140 favorite. Which side do you like on this match? So I'm
1: going to go with Gojo in this one. I tried to give you one with relatively easy last name. Thank you. So I'm going to go with uh, Gojo on the money line. Uh, You're looking at the recent form of both players. Gasquet is another guy who's been around for a long time, past his prime, and he has struggled a bit lately, losing four of his last six hard court matches. Gojo has been very good, though, especially on the challenger circuit. Uh, He has won nine of his last 11 hard court matches. He also went through qualifying here. So he is kind of familiar with the courts. And I do think that's going to pay dividends here. But Gasquet is ranked 43rd in the world. Gojo is ranked 121st. And Gojo is favored in this match, which is kind of telling to me. Gasquet, he did win a tournament earlier this year before the Australian Open. Since then, he's kind of hit a wall. And I think Gojo is going to do enough to win this match. It's not going to be easy. I expect it to be a long match, potentially a three-setter. But I do think with Gasquet getting up there in years, I think he'll eventually run out of gas. And Gojo has played a lot better than Gasquet has lately. And there's some value on taking the younger player here
2: and you think that this one is going to be a relatively competitive one as the money line on this one is relatively tight you've got J.J. Wolf going up against Martin Fuchovich, and you've got Wolf as right around about a minus 145 to a minus 160 favorite but I know you're looking away from the money line you're not even going to be taking a look at really either of these guys win you're just going to be taking a look at how long this match is going to be going.
1: Yeah, for me, I'm going to go with the over two and a half sets here at plus 140. If you don't have that available, I don't mind the over in games, but I'm going to go uh, take a greedier approach and go for the potential extra plus money. But you're looking at the one head-to-head meeting they had, which was late last year on hard courts, so relatively recent, and Wolf won that one in three sets. Kuksovich has also been no stranger to marathon matches as each of the last three matches have gone the distance. So I do think you're going to end up seeing a bit of a war here Both players have been struggling a bit lately, so I do expect them to come out fully focused for this match. Wolf is the home country guy, so he might get a little boost from the crowd. But from what I saw in the 2022 match, these players are pretty even. I think that this is going to be a very competitive match. Both players can also be a bit streaky. I think you might see each player have their moments, one in each set, and you're going to end up seeing them split the first two sets. But plus 140 with this matchup, I think, is a great value play. I'm going with the over.
2: And then we've got Jack Draper and Leandro Reedy with Draper. He's right around about a minus 190 or so favorite. And this is another spot where you're going to be taking a look at a little bit of a different approach. I know that you're taking a look at the underdog in this circumstance, but you don't want the full plus 165, plus 160 ish money line. Instead, you're going to be taking a little bit of a simpler and a little bit more of a safe approach. Take me through what you're going to be doing to reduce the payout a little bit, but give yourself a little bit of insurance in this match.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to go with uh righty plus two and a half games here at minus one Oh five. You could take the money line, but I think this match is going to be relatively close. The point is Draper is the much better player when fully healthy. He's a borderline top 25 guy when healthy. The problem is he hasn't been healthy. He got injured in the Australian open and he has not played since January 15th. So it's his first match with uh since that injury and I'm kind of wondering how he's going to look. Meanwhile, right, he's actually been pretty good. He went through qualifying and he has fared pretty well. Uh, he has won three of his last four matches. He even faced off against Hercas a couple of weeks ago, who's a borderline top ten player, and even won a set in that match. He lost the match, but still, he was competitive. I just think that the idea that Draper is supposed to come back after roughly three months off and or two months off and just supposed to hit the ground running, I don't see that happening. I see Draper having some rust. Maybe some issues with movement because it was a leg injury, after all. And Righty's been good lately. I think it's a good battle between two young players, and I think that even if Draper has a gear that Righty doesn't have, I think taking the games makes a lot of sense. Because if Draper gets off to a slow start and loses the first set 6-2, for example, and then wakes up and plays a lot better tennis in the final two sets, Righty could still lose the match, but I think he's got a good chance to cover. I'll play it safe and I'll take the games. But if you want to make a case for the plus 165, I don't mind it. It's mostly fading a player off a long layoff. And I think there's always value in that spot.
2: And Scott, I know that you do a great job on the NHL as well. We've got about a minute left. Anything on the car catching your eye? No worries if not. But I know you do a solid job here. So anything in the NHL that you might be interested in betting in for Thursday?
1: So I am an Islanders fan and they are taking on the Penguins in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh had that. Fantastic 4-0 comeback, which really annoyed me, but good for them. Uh, Pittsburgh's around minus 140 or so, minus 135 on the money line. I think I am going to lean to Pittsburgh in that one. uh, With the home crowd advantage, Pittsburgh has outshot the Islanders constantly whenever they faced off against each other. New York has been very good lately, mostly because of good defense. But with Pittsburgh being at home and with the shot disparity that I'm expecting, if Pittsburgh even gets mediocre goaltending, I just think they have too many weapons for the Islanders to deal with. I'm going to lean to Pittsburgh in that spot. I hope I'm wrong because I'm an Islanders fan and the two points would be quite nice, but I do think it's a good spot for Pittsburgh to get revenge after losing those two games, to the Islanders a couple weeks ago, I'm leaning to Pittsburgh at home.
2: I think that it's going to be a great day of action. Scott, you do a great job taking a look at tennis, NBA, NHL list goes on and on. Always appreciate my friend. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for having me. Always great to get Scott Rochelle of the Sports Gambling Podcast Network aboard. And in the final segment of the Greg Peterson Experience, I give you my DK Nation pick for this college basketball Thursday here on Vison the Sports Fan Network.
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're experiencing Hoops Peterson himself on v the sports betting network.
2: Bet Rivers online sports book is a place to be as he could win up to $10,000 in bonus money instantly by playing and our exclusive Bet River Squares is basketball season. Squares, not just for football, as if you place a qualifying bet, you get a square on the house. And if the numbers on your square match up with the final score of the game, you win. Restrictions on qualifying wagers, eligibility bonus, and credit use. Full terms and conditions are available at BetRiversquares.com. As this is the final segment of the Greg Peterson experience for this night, right here on VSIN, the Sports Bank Network. If you miss anything from the show today, VEASAN.com slash picks for all the picks for all the audio. VEASAN.com slash audio or wherever you get the VEASAN bets back bet feed, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, lists, goes on and on. Big thanks once again to Scott Rachelle who joined me in the last segment, taking a look at a little bit of tennis, taking a look at some NBA for this Thursday, and a little bit of programming note. If you're listening live to the Greg Peterson Experience, Coming up next, a replay of the Greg Peterson experience. And if you're listening to that replay, 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern, it is Follow the Money with Mitch Moss, Paul Howard. They're going to get you set for what should be a very fun day of sports, college basketball, and so much more for this Thursday. But let's wrap things up and try to get hot with these DK Nation picks as, well, I don't think that we could be colder than Wisconsin shooting was on Wednesday. That was not great to say the least. And, we had one Wisconsin team fail us on Wednesday. So we fade the Wisconsin team that was going to be playing on Thursday. I mean, Wisconsin better not be going to the NCAA tournament. Five-second rant. This team is absolutely terrible. Don't make this argument of, oh, they have no good losses. You get in the tournament by winning. And Wisconsin is done absolutely none of that. So I'm sorry. And I'm someone from the state of Wisconsin. My sister is a graduate of that university. They don't belong in the tournament. That said... Let's take a look at this one. 727, 728 on the betting board. Marquette, they are going to be playing against St. John's. This is going to be from the most famous arena, Madison Square Garden. And we're seeing more and more sevens pop up on the board. Right now, you're seeing a few six halves remaining with Marquette being the favorite. But this is starting to move to seven. And your total on this game is between 161.5 and 162. And my right up here. We're going to be backing the team that is pretty much on their home floor, but is listed at the top of the game, as that would be St. John's. St. John's has been a little bit of a different team when they played at MSG in recent years, and it's a Marquette squad that maybe I'm just a hater here or something like that, but they don't impress me a whole heck of a lot. It's a Marquette bunch that you give them credit for what they've been able to do this year, but you take a look at the underlying metrics and. This is a team that they leave a little bit of something to be desired. They are not going to be able to hold their own on the glass as you've got a guy in Joel Soriano for St. John's who's number four in the country. In terms of rebounds per game with 11.9, he's been able to throw in there right around, 13, or right around 15.2 points per contest. It's a St. John's team that as a whole, they are more around 60th in the country in terms of rebound rate. And you take a look at this Marquette team. They've got one guy that gives you north of five rebounds per game. Oso He's He's been able to give you right around 5.8 rebounds per game. He gives you a block and a half per contest. But I mean, really, the only reason why Marquette has knocked off St. John's twice this year is that they have shot a combined 20 of 43 from three-point range. And contrary to popular belief, yeah, it's a good three-point shooting Marquette team. They're not a great three-point shooting team. They shoot right around 35.7, 35.8% from three. As a matter of fact, in terms of their three-point shooting defense, they allow opponents to shoot at a really high rate, 285th of the country. In terms of opponents' three-point shooting percentage, so they don't necessarily do, do a great job of being able to guard the arc, so you've got your issues there with this team. When it comes to St. John's, they've honestly been typically better when Andre Cabello's been off the floor, and they've been giving some more minutes to AJ Stores since the end of January. Take a look at the last 11 games overall. He's been averaging right around 13 points per game overall for the season. Shoots 40% from three-point range. So I do like the game that he is providing this team. On top of that, you've got a bunch in St. John's that they do a nice job of being able to generate between 8.5 and, and 9 steals per game. Now they themselves turn the ball over a little bit too much. They do turn the ball over 13 and a half times per game. And Marquette, they turn the ball over more like 11 times per contest. With Tyler Kolick doing a really nice job, 7.5 assists. Per game, So, I do think that that is going to be beneficial for this bunch. But, that said, you've also got a Marquette team that they just don't necessarily do a great job with their on-ball defense as well. They're right on par with St. John's in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And, this is a Red Storm team that is giving up 9.3 points fewer per 100 possessions when they're at home rather than when they're away from home. So, that is going to be massive. And, last time Marquette went to New York, they were playing at Carneseca Arena. They were not playing in the world's most famous arena. That would be Madison Square Garden. And I do think that that makes a little bit of a difference. And, I mean, heck, this is a game that we just saw a few days ago. Marquette was taken to the brink by St. John's. Now, granted, St. John's made a little bit of a bonsai charge towards the end of that game. They were down by double figures throughout much of it. But they were able to cut it to a two-point game. And really one of the big difference makers and one of the bigger reasons why they were able to were a pair of guys that... I've been a little bit more out of sight, out of mind, but I do think that they're going to be able to perform quite well moving forward. Dylan Adi, Awusu. And then you're able to throw in there as well David Jones. Jones was dealing with a little bit of an injury in towards the beginning part of the season. 13 points, six rebounds per game for him. And Awusu has been able to do a nice job with right around nine or ten points per contest. I do think that St. John's going to be able to hold in there. I do think that they get a little bit of a boost from the home crowd in this game as well. This is going to be a game that tips off at noon eastern time 11 a.m central so marquette might be a little bit tired for this game as well so i take a look at this spot i do think that st john's is going to be able to hold in there my dk and h pick is going to be on the red storm i do think that marquette team that's not going to be able to maintain the north of 47% percent 3 three-point shooting that they've had and and you've got some nice players cam jones is able to give you about 15 and a half points per game over Maximine prosper is able to chip in there right around 13 points Gives you a little bit over four rebounds per game, but I do think that with Joel Soriano down low and St. John's in the first two matchups, combining for 12 more rebounds, than Marquette, they're going to be upholding hold in this game. So my write-up, that is going to be on St. John's getting the points. I did set my total at a 160 and a half. We've seen Marquette get north of 90 points in both games in this matchup, but I think that they're going to go a little bit cooler from three-point range. And on top of that, once again, early tip time, I do think that that is going to allow for a little bit more of an under in this spot as well. So, I to dive under on the 161.5. And then when it comes to another big time tournament that we're going to be seeing, that would be the Big 12 tournament. This just feels like a little bit of a short number. If I would have had a number on this a little bit earlier, this might have been the write-up. 751, 752 on the betting board. Kansas is going to be playing against West Virginia. This is out there at the T-Mobile Center. In Kansas City, Missouri. Pretty much a de facto home game. For Kansas, and they are a three-to-three-and-a-half-point favorite. Tell game the same between 148-and-a-half and 149.5. 149 and a half Now, the good for West Virginia. Last time they played against Kansas, about two weeks ago, late February, they held within two points. That was a 76-74 to 74 game. Kansas was lucky to get that win. They shot 10-20 from three-point range. You can't expect Kansas to shoot 10-20 from three-point range once again, but West Virginia is a little bit of a nightmare on the glass. They've got two guys that give you north of four rebounds per game. That'd be Jimmy Bell Jr. along Trey Mitchell. They both give you about 5.2 rebounds per game. Now, Eric Stevenson has been in flamethrower mode going into the game on Wednesday. He had scored 23 plus points in five straight games, but he's a very streaky player because prior to that run, he had single digits in three straight as well. So you don't know what you're going to be able to get out of this West Virginia team with regards to their top score. You also don't know what you're going to be able to get out of the defense because they're 135th in the country, turns points a lot on a per possession basis. Now, Kansas does not necessarily have one of those metrics where it's like, oh yeah, they completely excel there, except for one. That'd be quad one wins, 15 in total. When Kansas faces good competition, they get the job done. That is the most important thing that you can take a look at. Defense has been there as well for them. Kansas, in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, they're actually giving up fewer points per possession when they're away from Fog Allen Fieldhouse than they do at home, which I think is absolutely insane because Fog Allen Fieldhouse is one of the biggest home court advantages. Hey, you're going to find it all of college basketball, but they've been able to do that. They're a team that ranks right around the top 35 in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, but away from home, they're a top 20 defense. They do a nice job of being able to generate some turnovers. It is a West Virginia team that sometimes gets a little bit loose with the ball. Jalen Wilson is going to be the best player on the floor, in my opinion. He's able to give you right around 20 points per game. Now, Kevin McCuller has been dealing with a little bit of injury. Should be good to go. You'll want to be checking in on his status just in case, though, because you never be too safe with those sorts of ordeals, but it is a circumstance where I do think that this line is just too low, and I do think that you need to give, at the very minimum, a point or so for this being a game that is going to be played in Kansas City, Missouri. So, I did set Kansas as a 6.5 point favorite. Going to be one to lay it. Semi-total at a 146-half. I think that Kansas doesn't shoot as well from three as they did the last time around. So diving under as well. And you've got a nice little pro tip for you that does stem off of my DK Nation pick and what I've been talking about this segment. Visa.com slash subscribe. You're able to start these by showing by sport. Upgrade teams that are playing on their natural home floor when it comes to these conference tournaments. Like St. John's playing at MSG. Princeton is going to be playing on their home floor. UNLV, Kansas, you're able to go down the list. These are teams that you need to upgrade. And always give these guys an upgrade. Mitch Moss, Paul Howard, they do amazing work with Follow the Money, which comes your way 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on VSIM, the Sports Bank Network.